we sometimes don't even have to like everyone knows when we kick off a parts unknown program that it's being worked on and people people just come now and they hear that name it means something you hear people in the organization referring to it as like oh they have a parts unknown going on with that as if it's its own methodology which it's not this is aaron may i'm john henry forster and this is awkward silence silences <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Awkward Silences. We are here today with Vicki Talamash. She is the Director of User Experience Research at Grubhub. Uh, we are going to talk today about branding your research programs. <laughs> so as we know, everyone wants to be as impactful as possible in the user research that they're doing. And Vicky has found this kind of really cool way to make that a reality at Grubhub by doing something I'm really into on the marketing side, which is branding things um, and just kind of getting the gang involved in, in the research that they want to do on an ongoing basis. So we're going to talk about what those programs are, how this came to be, uh, and, and how that's working out for them at Grubhub. So thanks so much for joining us, Vicky. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Also, I, I failed to mention I, I really love the name of the podcast, Awkward Silences. Thank you so much. Yeah, um, truth in advertising. We will uh, we'll find one. Yeah, we'll somewhere. fit one in. <laughs> I am I'm pretty much like the queen of those. So I was like, oh, that's perfect. It makes me feel comfortable straight away. Yeah, you know, the name was actually born because when we talked to user researchers, it came up a lot that is a kind of best practice is to not. Oh yeah. To try to it. cover over every awkward, you know, that's how you get some of the best juicy bits. And we thought that that could fit nicely for, for us. Yeah, You got to sit with it sometimes and then people will come to things on their own. It's true. Mm -hmm. um, so branded research programs, do you want me to dive into it? Do you guys have specific questions? We do. We have um, specific and general questions, all sorts of questions. All right, but great. why don't we start with um, a kind of direct and general question, which is, how did you come to this idea of these branded programs? What led you to this? Um, it's kind of interesting. I guess I think all research teams uh, within an organization struggle with how do you make research sticky? How do you get maybe um, your stakeholders to be more engaged with it? Um, and one of the things we came up with is this idea of it had worked really well in the evaluative space. Like we set up a reoccurring weekly research day where our designers would come in and pitch things that they wanted research. And by having it on a weekly cadence, it just meant they always knew that they had the opportunity to do research. And it kind of became this thing that we noticed naturally. Everyone just kept referring to it as research day and this and that and kind of branded itself. Um, and the other program that we do, we call Parts Unknown, um, is, generative, is generative research. So it's more about going out into the field and um, it requires a higher level of engagement, right? Like people are often having to travel to um, engage with those research projects. And so we felt like maybe we needed to do a more formalized approach to branding it in order to encourage engagement. Um, and that's how we came up with the name Parts Unknown. We were kind of ripping off um, Anthony Bourdain at that time because everyone loves his shows. And we talked about what makes, you know, that specific show so engaging. And he's going into areas where um, 
you know, maybe people aren't familiar with that city and how they go through and learn about that city and the food culture in that city. And so we kind of uh, stole the idea from that for a generative program that kind of partnered with this evaluative research day program that we had kicked off and had been very successful. Awesome. How, how far do you, when you say brand it, like how far do you take it? Like the mm-hmm. name is obviously one thing um, and like how you refer to it, but brand's like a fuzzy word, right? So is it sure. you, like the way that the reports are made or is there a logo or like, you know, like what are, what are all the like components that make up the brand? Well, uh, so not every research project, not every generative research project is a parts unknown. Parts unknown is specific to us shining a light on something that is essentially unknown or new to our audience. Um, initially, it's kind of evolved itself. Initially, it began with um, us taking a look at emerging markets. Um, we kind of learned that our platform is different depending on geography. So it was taking people outside of New York and Chicago and giving them exposure to other cities. And then Parts Unknown also became about and kind of evolved into us um, taking a new look at a part of our experience that maybe we haven't cast or put a light on, right? So uh, we we hadn't really revisited our onboarding experiences. So Parts Unknown then kind of morphed into like exploring a part of our product that we hadn't looked at in a long time. So considering it that way. Um, so by branding it, you know, it... It's not every project is a parts unknown. It has to kind of meet those specific requirements. When our new CPO, Sam Hall, came in, he really saw what we were trying to do. And he himself was like really into the idea of this branded research program. And he now kind of uses it as a research program that aligns with him. You know, action will be taken like that Sam's behind it as well, which kind of has given the brand more power. I don't know if power is a word, but kind of like more engagement, right? Because people know that our CPO is a part of every parts unknown. And at the end, it will be presented to him. And he will be looking for what action will we be taking from those findings, right? Every report has a certain format that looks different than our other formats. I don't want us to get in trouble for, I don't know, branding issues. We do have a picture of Anthony <laughs> Anthony Bourdain in every deck. And I would like to say, we, we did create this before he unfortunately passed away. And it was just a thing we noticed within the organization that people really loved his program. And so we thought it kind of fit together well with what we were doing. But yeah, it is, it is a specific thing. We sometimes don't even have to, like, everyone knows when we kick off a Parts Unknown program that it's being worked on. And people people just come now and they hear that name. It means something. You hear people in the organization referring to it as like, oh, they have a Parts Unknown going on with that, as if it's its own methodology, mm. which it's not. It's the way we've branded. Um, we, we use a number of methodologies, but most of them are like more generative research. It's about understanding an ecosystem and going into the field. Um, but yeah, for the most part, like there's a look and feel to it. The name has c- kind of become part of the lexicon at our company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it has really helped as well that our CPO has obviously backed it and everyone knows that he is a driving force as part of it as well. It's almost like, you know, if you're going to have a, a potent brand, you need your brand influencers, right? So you've got your internal influencer, this exec- executive sponsor who's kind of attached yeah. to it. Um, you need a good name. You've got that. It's a name that, um, is what it sounds like, but also is familiar. So you're not starting from zero, um, and has this other attachment that is totally on brand for you because food, food. So, um, a plus well done. 
did it click internally, like kind of right away? Like you announce it and you start doing this and people are into it and engaged from the start? Or did it take some time and a couple of these like reports to come out for it to kind of snowball and be something that became part of the lexicon? Yeah. It took a little bit of time. Um, when we first started, we had a problem where um, a lot of our designers and product organization are New Yorkers and have been New Yorkers for life or our, our, our company split between New York and Chicago or are from Chicago and have been Chicago from life, right? Everyone in our organization orders food from our platform, right? So in some essence, they all consider themselves a diner. But they're diners, like, and that's what we call our users who are ordering food through us. They're diners in two markets that are the most optimal markets to be diners in, right? They're dense food markets. There are a lot of restaurants on our platform. And so initially what we wanted, um, I think, and I think most researchers would agree that experience is often the best educator. <laughs> and so originally parts unknown, I was often, I'm from Texas originally. I'm not a native New Yorker and I've only been in New York for two years. So I definitely understood what our platform when I came here looked like in Houston, where my family is from, or Dallas, where I was living at the time. And it was vastly different. Like at 10 p.m. at night, if you came home from a night out with friends, maybe there would be two restaurants on the platform at that time, right? Like that's not a lot of options. And your UI looks really different when you have two restaurants compared to like 200 restaurants. Um, and so the goal of it initially was to encourage people to come out into the field and to encourage them to experience not just um, understand food culture and how that's impacted by geography, um, but also understand um, how it's impacted by the experience our drivers are having in that market. And then also how it's exp- impacted by the way we've partnered with restaurants in that market. So what we were trying to do was to use that to encourage our product team members, our dev team members, our designers to come into the market with us, to come into other markets, travel outside of New York um, and go through essentially like going out into the field and experiencing diners in their home, ordering food and understanding how food ordering fits into their lives. And then driving with a driver and watching like his troubles and tribulations as he's trying to deliver food in the market and then go into the restaurant and see the challenges that they're facing as well. Mm -hmm. And to do that, we wanted to make it, it had to be kind of fun, right? You're, you're asking people to like put everything they're doing on hold for two or three days and travel. And so we knew by calling it parts unknown, like there's some sort of like I don't know if sexiness is the word and maybe that sounds crazy, <laughs> but there's some something kind of edgy, right? And engaging. And obviously we all really loved Anthony Bourdain because of that. So we felt like by kind of associating it with him, like that added a little cachet to it. Like it made it sound already like it was going to be fun and interesting because his show is fun and interesting and he is engaging personality. And then we also knew that when we initially kicked it off, we couldn't invite people to markets they weren't interested in visiting, right? Like we had a list of markets that we wanted to explore, but we also knew that some of those markets were more um, appetizing, so to speak, than others. So I think the first one we officially did was New Orleans. It's a big food market. It was considered an emerging market for us. And we knew that it would engage people and that people found New Orleans as a city engaging. So that's kind of how we started it, like to try to get people to engage with us and want to come with us. We tried to select markets that matched our requirements, but we also knew had a level of 
entice, they were enticing. And that also we knew by branding it with Anthony Bourdain, it made it feel more engaging. We were guaranteeing these people like, we're going to have great food. We're going to try the food in the area, as well as you guys get to come out and experience all these different aspects of our ecosystem in the wild. Um, and that was successful. That initially got people to come out with us. And as we produced research and did big presentations, the presentations, people also wanted to hear about what their team members did in New Orleans, what their team members did in Charleston, what their team members did in Portland, Maine, um, as we went through it, because they were kind of becoming interested in these trips. And like people were coming back being like, I learned a lot. I ate a lot of great food. I had a lot of fun. It was, you know, it was really worth the two to three days I invested. Mm -hmm. And we also saw that as a education, the experience part, it was helping. It was changing the way our product team members and our design team members thought when they came back, they kind of were able to see outside of New York and Chicago. So all those things initially engaged people, but it was very grassroots, right? And as we built that up, then um, it got the attention of our CPO who then saw how powerful it was. And he himself was like, I don't know if this is just an education through experience or if we can use this um, as a as a ver like as a research methodology to actually educate the broader organization rather than just educate people as they come on the road with mm -hmm. you, um, but then as it evolved, it actually changed, and now now it has become a really good tool. Does that does that answer the question? I hope that answers the question. Yeah, you covered yeah. a lot of ground. I think you answered a okay. few questions. Uh, yeah, now I'm now I'm excited to go to New Orleans on Friday, which I'm actually doing. Um, Oh, are yeah. you really? Is it your first no, it's time? It's my third time. I love New Orleans. And the people there uh, are so nice that it kind of is always oh, yeah. an ethnographic experience to just chat with the locals. So I'm pumped. Uh, but how long ago was that? You said New Orleans was one of your first trips and that this kind of evolved in a grassroots capacity at first. So how long has this been going on? That was well, that was maybe a year and a half okay. ago. Okay. And, and yeah. so you said it was grassroots. So you, what, was there a pain in the organization at the time or an opportunity or what was the grassroots, you know, compelling moment in which parts unknown was kicked off in New Orleans? Well, I, I think I had just come into the organization and like anyone, if you're in a manager or director position, maybe you come in and try to assess the state of the research team within the organization that it's supporting, what's been successful in the past, um, and what has been a challenge. And then you also kind of assess like where people are within their, um, within their UX practice, right? Like how evolved is the organization? And, um, I think when I got, when I came in, I also hired another researcher that I had worked with on and off for about, I don't know what, seven years. And him and I just saw a lot of opportunities. Like we were at the and like people were asking questions essentially at the end of a product life cycle, just to like tick the box, like, does this work mm -hmm. <laughs> like, or do user, I, a question I can't stand, do users like it, which I don't think is a very <laughs> valuable research question. Um, and so what we saw is like, we also saw that a lot of people um, had a very New York mentality mm -hmm. to the entire United States. And like, I think had an assumption, like what I experience here is what everyone experiences, mm -hmm. which is a very human way to think, right? Like, my experience is just like everyone else's, which is generally not. So we just saw this opportunity. I always think researchers are really educators mm -hmm. and we just saw this opportunity. Um, how do we, how do we show this organization in a way that isn't, you know, accusing them, but more like 
come along for the ride and let's show you some things, right? Let's like show you like what, what, what Grubhub looks like in these other markets. How do we do that in a way that engages in them and that we can help begin this education process? Um, and so him and I kind of sat in a room and talked about it and kicked it around. And he had just come off of a, a project where we had gone to several markets to understand why we had diners that ordered from us once and then did not order from us again. And we saw the value that that research had provided by bringing a few people out to different markets outside of New York and Chicago. And we knew, you know, our growth opportunities are in our emerging markets. So we knew that there was kind of like this opportunity. We saw that people were lacking this kind of education or engagement and, so him and I kind of came up with the idea and, and we got buy-in from our director at the time, who was not me. Subsequently, I become director. Um, and then it was just about getting people to engage with it, with it, which is why, you know, we started being thinking like maybe we brand it, make it something that people already have a good association mm-hmm. with. Maybe we, we target markets that we know people are going to want to go to. Um, and so that's kind of how it mm-hmm. started. So it was kind of born from two people <laughs> who were very new to the organization and just saw opportunities um, from coming in and assessing where the UX research team kind of stood and and what education efforts needed to take place in order to further advance um, us within the UX life cycle. When you say, or, when you say people are engaging mm-hmm. with it, um, Maybe I'm just mm-hmm. taking the name like too literally. Like I'm picturing them watching like a slickly oh, yeah. produced TV show. I'd imagine that's probably not what they're engaging with in the end. Um, no, I'm, what I mean engaging, like you know, when you do research, I guess there's different types of engagement, right? You can do research studies, and ideally, you want people to be there with you. You want them to watch sessions. Mm-hmm. You want them to be actively involved, right? But oftentimes. Um, you know, everyone's got a busy workload. People have, I mean, our company is like meeting ridiculous, like so many meetings. Oftentimes what I see, and I've seen this in other organizations is people come for the readout. And I think you lose a lot of the granularity when you don't attend sessions or you don't come out into the field with the researchers. And I also think, you know, researchers are very good at picking up on a vast array of behaviors and findings and, uh, and able to like put together a cohesive story. But designers and devs and product people, they definitely see things through a different lens. And what we really wanted, maybe I call it active engagement, not that they're watching a TV show, but they're coming with us into the field. They're meeting users for themselves. They're getting out of the office and they're actively going into the field and they're asking questions or they're observing. They're, they're part of the, the gotcha, research. Gotcha. And so, so how many people are like going on these trips? Like how many people are getting in the field? So we don't have a super huge organization, right? So we were able to bring, I mean, we, you don't want to, you don't want to pile 20 people into a restaurant or <laughs> bring, you know, 10 people into someone's home. Um, it would generally be one researcher and two, two team members, but we would do multiple sessions in the field. And those two team members who watched, uh, you know, came out into a diner's home and talked to them about how they order food, et cetera, et cetera. But then later in the day, go and do a driver shadowing um, with one of our researchers who supports our our driver product. Um, So you would have a group of people, but they would kind of be, we would have scheduled time slots, and then they would kind of be moving through different parts of our ecosystem with different users at different times. But generally, no more than one or two, as well as the researcher who's kind of handling or managing the facilitation of the um, conversations. 
All right, a quick awkward interruption here. It's fun to talk about user research, but you know what's really fun is doing user research, and we want to help you with that. We want to help you so much that we have created a special place. It's called userinterviews.com slash awkward for you to get your first three participants free. We all know we should be talking to users more, so we went ahead and removed as many barriers as possible. It's going to be easy. It's going to be quick. You're going to love it. So get over there and check it out. And then when you're done with that, go on over to your favorite podcasting app and leave us a review, please. So we talked to a lot of researchers who are doing a lot of remote research, right? The barrier to entry is pretty low. You can do it pretty quickly. It's less expensive. Um, you're going out into the field with a couple of people, a lot more to plan and bigger budgets. Was it, Obviously. was it hard to kind of get the approval or do you just have like tons of money to play with? Or how did you go from, you know, again, we have this initial idea, we have this need in the organization to get folks exploring these parts unknown. How far ahead did you plan or did you kind of pilot this in New Orleans and we piloted this in New Orleans. I think it takes us from a logistics perspective. Uh, the big thing is the recruit, mm -hmm. right? Um, and we recruit our restaurant partners and our drivers, and those tend to be harder recruits. Um, the diners, we either used um, local recruiting vendors. To be honest, we actually started using mm -hmm. you guys. <laughs> Some of these, I know uh, you guys helped us in Tucson, um, and you were even able to get us at that time. Uh, we wanted college students as well who had used a service called Topingo, um, and you guys were able to get that for us. It was amazing. Um, but so it's about three weeks, and the hardest part is really the recruit. And then for my team, it's pretty easy to put those schedules together. From a, a financial perspective, I will say doing research at Grubhub has probably been the place that I feel like we have been the most supported if the organization has a question, if they feel that um, the research is valuable, um, they will provide us a budget to do that research. Um, and, and so they are very um, research motivated, research forward. Um, in some regards, to be a researcher here has been like the most freeing experience I've ever had uh, because they definitely have a lot of questions that they want answered. And are very, very supportive in making sure that we answer those questions in the way that we think makes the most sense. And sometimes that involves mm -hmm. travel, right? And they definitely, I mean, educating your product partners and your design partners and your dev partners and creating empathy so they really understand the real world situation that our users exist in means that they make better decisions and are more informed up front, which I think my organization sees as an investment and as cost savings in the long run, right? So I think that's um, the way it's done. But yeah, I mean, we're traveling that does cost money. I've worked at other companies where the budgets are incredibly tight um, and you don't have that luxury and you are, you know, you do you do more remote testing. We do remote testing here as well, but we also on a, on a, a regular basis go out mm -hmm. into the field. And so you're bringing these, I'm picturing you guys are in like a Volkswagen van, <laughs> you know, going on this like caravan with these three people, you've got your field mics. Um, so you're going on this trip, um, three people, I don't know the size of your organization, but is, you know, there's more than three people. How do you, is there pressure or interest in kind of scaling that you were talking about 
readouts, right? And how they're great, but can be kind of limiting. Is there now just, you know, this huge backlog of people who want to go on these trips or how do you kind of disseminate this experience and this information, you know, across the product organization sure. or the, the larger organization? Sure. And so just keep in mind, there are, are three people per individual mm-hmm. session, but we have three researchers running mm-hmm. sessions. So that means that there are actually six people and maybe even more than that, because sometimes people will like kind of phase in and phase out and other people will like work remotely while people are attending the session. So we might actually be bringing anywhere from six to eight people into the field mm-hmm. with us on top of the three researchers that attend. It's a joint effort to kind of inform people not only about what's taking place in that market, but also what's taking place within our ecosystem, which involves, you know, our restaurant partners, because they're mm-hmm. our customers, our, our drivers or delivery um, people, and then as well as our diners and how they kind of, you know, kind of sometimes the most interesting part is where those people mm-hmm. intersect. So, um, so it's, it's more than just three people. It's, it's a, it can be a fairly large group. Um, but afterwards, yes, we have a, a thing on Fridays. We came in and there was a thing called lunch and learn, but it really seemed like it had just become lunch when mm-hmm. I first came <laughs> years ago. So we hijacked that. I mean, they um, they bring in lunch for everyone to eat. You have a captive audience when people are eating. Um, we hijacked that lunch and learn. And what we would try to do as well is we would work with um, the employee who orders the lunch for both Chicago and New York. Um, and for example, in New Orleans, we learned that there's a heavy influence um, on Vietnamese uh, from Vietnamese culture there. And people are a very big fan of Vietnamese food. And there is as well, like kind of like the Southern culture and the Southern eating and the Creole culture. So then we would theme um, the food on Fridays to meet the match kind of like the city that we had just gone to. And then we would do a very large presentation. Um, and so that kind of engaged people as well. And they were excited to try the food people. I mean, obviously at Grubhub, you have a lot of food loving people. It's a food culture here. Um, and so that was one of the other ways we tried to like drum up engagement. Um, I mean, generally we eat those Toros on Friday. So I think people sometimes would be kind of excited that there would be a change, <laughs> a change in the food. Um, but yeah, so everyone knew that we would do the readout on Fridays and we had a captive audience because everyone was having lunch already. And we would generally do the presentation. We have large cafeterias in all our offices that are equipped to handle presentations, uh, for when we do like all hands or, um, you know, like, uh, a company wide, mm-hmm. company wide meetings. And so we would just use those facilities to do that and bring food in, which was, which was very successful. Um, and then also we would do breakout sessions after we presented, um, in regards to how do we solve some of the problems that we Great. found in the field, but also keep in mind too, the, the program has subsequently changed. Now it's not always about going into mm-hmm. emerging markets. Now, sometimes we theme them. The one we did in Tucson was around like, how do diners think about pickup and how does that, how does that fit into their lives? And then, um, we, and the same perspective for restaurants, how does, how does pickup, um, fit into their lives from a perspective of like companies like ours, Grubhubs and DoorDash and Caviar. How do they think about pickup? And now we subsequently gone through and done, you know, it's not just about emerging markets. We went and reviewed all of our onboarding processes for all of our partners. So for what, you know, we think onboarding takes this long for restaurants. What is that experience actually like for restaurants? Does it take as long as we think it does? Were there friction points in it and how do they overcome those or not overcome those? Um, and, and those have kind of what it's morphed into now. So it, it, 
it's still parts unknown, but now it's not a geographic location. Sometimes it's unknown or unexplored parts of our own um, product offering, our own experiences that we haven't we haven't taken a look at in a long time. If you were thinking about you know starting this up in another organization, or a researcher comes to you and you know mm-hmm. hears this and is inspired and wants to get their own version going, like what parts of this? It sounds like you kind of found your way into it somewhat organically, coming in as an outsider to the organization. Like, yeah. what are the key like components that you would recommend somebody? you know, focus on early on to get some momentum here and, and try to, you know, make their own version of, of something like this? I mean, I definitely think we had success early on. It's very easy to do this in regards to evaluative research, right? I I talk with a lot of old colleagues and people in the community of researchers I have, and lots of people have started up like a research day, which is which is kind of where we first started. We had this standing day of research, which we subsequently have rebranded that now. It's not called research day, but initially really, what's it, it was research now? day. And it was, uh, we, well, we, we, we played uh-huh. on all the food shows. So <laughs> we lovingly call it D3, which is a reference to that. The triple D? Uh, the, the, uh, the triple D. Diners, 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 Diners. Yeah, of course. I thought you meant the the graphic technology for data visualizations. Okay, oh, yeah, yeah, that no, makes more I call it D three, and then I'm I am. It's a, a horrible weakness of mine that I can't keep track of acronyms. I'm like, Wait, does that, what does that stand for again? I know it's a um, So we kind of rebranded that one as well, but because we started there, and lots of people have like a standing day of research because. Like I mentioned earlier, I think before we were recording, you know, people often push back on a value of research or research in general because they think timelines to get the research done are so long and we won't, you know, we have a release date, we don't have time to do this. So if you have a standing day, it kind of means like you always have the possibility of doing research in a few days, right? Um, and that was so successful. I think anyone can brand a research day and a value of research day. And you can do remote research. Maybe it's you using user testing and just like, going through and educating your design partners how to do something like that. Um, but you can always start there small with a value of testing, which is fairly easy and like a much more manageable program. Um, and for us, because we did have that support and that financing to explore problems out in the field, um, we were able then to scale that to mm-hmm. the parts unknown program, which in the end became wider known across the organization as well, because once you're out in the field, that has implications, not just for our product organization, but oftentimes a lot of it is reflective of how our org, a lot of the problems we find in these, these research efforts are reflective of how our organization as a whole comes together to work. Um, It often has um, meanings for our ops team who's in charge of like you know, um, our ops team is kind of like our internal employees who are like the touch points with our restaurant partners. So people who are doing account management mm-hmm. for the restaurants, right? Um, it involves them. It involves marketing. It involves our product organization. It involves feedback for our design organization. And it, it oftentimes is reflective of how the organization kind of has come together to create solutions for our teams and, and maybe some of the issues that we find that are our users are struggling with are indicative indicative of how our organization works together to solve problems. And that's why the parts unknown one, I think became um, so well known within our organization because those findings scale at a much larger level than just Mm -hmm. the evaluative research. Um, But I definitely think if I were to go into another company, I, 
this is the fourth company I've set up a research, a standing day of research in and had a research day, a program where we just do usability testing every Thursday or Friday every week. Um, those are very easy to set up. Um, you can definitely brand those. I have never walked into an organization where that's a difficult thing to do. And I've always seen it be incredibly well received. It's like one of the things now that I know, I'm like, oh, I'll just set that up. That's an easy win from the get go. So how do you do it? You've done this a bunch of times, um, like 60 seconds. Like, how do I do it? What do we need to do? So it's Thursday or Friday, research day. Uh, Give it some like standing day. Standing day. You choose. I, I feel I prefer Thursdays because I find that users sometimes don't show up on yeah, Fridays because yeah. we all got things going on Fridays. So I prefer Thursday uh, yeah. right before holidays, right after holidays. Mondays and Fridays are hard. Tuesdays to Thursdays is a better day. So I, I, we do a Thursday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you pick a day. You communicate that to the organization. Um, then you pick a day uh, earlier in the week, preferably Monday, for designers to come in and pitch their ideas based off priority viability, a number of things. You choose a topic for the week. There is a winner. Um, you use a service like userinterviews.com who can turn Thank a around really quickly. Um, three free. Up- <laughs> <laughs> First three free. User interviews slash podcast. We, we did a lot of like, um, there's a thing where you kind of have to sell your program. So it's also, you know, uh, sharing that you're going to set that program up and building excitement about it with stakeholders and meetings and what it's going to provide and offer people and getting the designers engaged and reminding them. At first, you're going to have to do a lot of like kind of like you're, you're right. essentially marketing this program, um, but it very quickly becomes engaged. So it's, it's really just choosing the day that people pitch, the day that the research will be done. We do a 24 hour turnaround. That means they will have results by end of day Friday bulleted results that we will read out and discuss as a group. Um, and so they can take action immediately. Right. And it's just setting up that quick research. You pitch Monday, you test Thursday, you have results, uh, spoken to by end of day Friday. Um, and we have a researcher that's her job. She just runs that every single week, but it also creates a really set tight schedule for her. Um, and it's a very easy thing to pitch. And I have never seen an organization respond negatively to it. It is always well, well embraced. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Can you share if you have any top of mind, just one or two designs or, um, you know, things that have been kind of answered or resolved from these research days? So one of the things that, uh, especially if, if designers are going, if we're adding any sort of new aspect to our product, um, and designers are trying something that hasn't been done before by a designer before them within our organization. It is often like we maybe have done research to understand how users think about something. They have taken that research, created a solution. We are then usability testing it essentially to see does their translation of those needs into a design match our users' mental mindset, right? So we always do five users. Um, I think it's one and it's our sessions, five users. Um, and then we just get their feedback and we've learned all sorts of, I mean, some of the fascinating things we had this whole, we were talking about onboarding. We had this whole idea, this one, this whole idea of like, do, do diners want to come in and give you a whole bunch of information about themselves? And then they will see restaurants that might be more meaningful to them because they've let you know that, you know, they don't like spicy food, they're vegetarian they only want to get food from a certain radius, all these things, right? And 
we had a lot of assumptions that yes, people wanted to take that time to give you all this information when they first came to our product. And the truth is they don't, they just want to get food and maybe they want to do that afterwards. Right. Right. When, when we, we know, we know this from lots of studies, but we, we know that when users come to us, they're already hungry and anything that we do to slow them down to getting food to them is not good. Right. So, I mean, those are some of the things we've created design that was like, it was a heavy load up front and, and users were essentially like, let me get the food first. And then you can ask me all these questions. But um, there's tons of stuff. I I will say some of the smaller stuff, if it's just like small UI changes and users are like, should should the button look like this or should the button look like that? Something that small, we're going to take to like usertesting.com because it's just Mm -hmm. a better way to handle that question. And if we're going to use the resources to bring users in, I think it needs to be bigger questions. So we're generally looking to test maybe a flow or... um, or maybe we're looking to do competitive stuff, or maybe we're considering like uh, we're doing a usability study of some of our competitors and how they've handled things, or or maybe we're trying to understand uh, how to add complexity to our menus, and we're looking at menus on restaurants or competitors who are who are already complex, and how do users handle placing those orders? Where do they struggle, and how can we solve that? Um, I mean, there's a lot of different ways we use it, but really small stuff isn't the best use for it. Um, it's probably larger. It's going through a flow of some kind, giving users a task and seeing our scenario and seeing how they're able to accomplish that. And then what we learn from it. And sometimes we want to give them a number of scenarios and have them go through two different, two different UIs with the same scenario and see what they get from the comparison. Right. But um, yeah, it's it's nothing super small. It's it's usually bigger questions. But then it's also not too big because we only have an hour. <laughs> right. They've done like a redesign of the app. We're not going to possibly cover all right. those sessions. Yeah. Right. What happens to the designers whose pitches don't get chosen? They just like throw their ideals out in the wild and see what happens? No, we, we try to give everyone help. A lot of the designers come in and sometimes they pitch too early. They're pitching on a Monday and they have to have a prototype to us or even a paper site by Thursday. And so oftentimes that knocks a lot of people out where we're like, are you going to have a prototype by Thursday? And they'll be like, maybe next Thursday. So we're like, we'll pitch on Monday, next Monday, then you're a little early. Um, There are times though, when um, we do have a few candidates uh, and those cases, there will be a winner, but we don't, we try not to turn people down. We will work with um, the candidates who didn't get chosen to provide research for them in some other way. Uh, usually, if it comes down to that, it's it's down to priority, right? Like, uh, are we is it are the is a designer going to be able to use that feedback? Will they be able to make changes? And then also, um, how what kind of level of priority is this within our organization? We also have research days where no one pitches, and then I call it a free for all, where my team gets to like choose something that they're curious about and go explore that. Nice, yeah, <laughs> yeah. When parts unknown and triple D collide, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So say uh, say I'm a user researcher, but I don't like cooking shows. What do I do? Am I just stuck? <laughs> you are stuck. I mean, how does not like Anthony Bourdain? I mean, in the end, in that transcend cooking. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm teasing. Awesome. Cool. Vicki, you were saying that you are hiring at Grubhub. Oh, yes. We are actively looking for a senior researcher in the New York office, and we are adding a quantitative researcher to our team, which is pretty new for us. Um, Mm -hmm. They could be based in New York and Chicago, and we're hoping to hire at a senior level as well. 
I also understand that those people might come from like a marketing background or a CX background. That's absolutely fine. Um, but you could come over to product and diversify yourself. <laughs> Fantastic. What should those people do if they're interested in applying? Um, they could reach out to me or um, they could look me up on LinkedIn. And I have a post for both of those positions on my LinkedIn profile. And honestly, reaching out to me is the best way and the fastest way to get through. Thanks for listening to Awkward Silences, brought to you by User Interviews. Theme music by Fragile Gang. Editing and sound production by Carrie Boyd.